Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Oristano. I play Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I play Billy Riggins. The assumption is that you, our gentle audience, has already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV because there will be spoilers in our podcast. And guys, the merch. That's right. Go check out our website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's Clear Eyes fullheartspod.com. And still, as always, looking to answer those questions from you, email us anything you want to know at clearizefullheartspod at gmail.com today. We've made it, guys. We're here. End of season two, season two, episode 15, May the Best Man Win, written by David Hudgens, directed by Patrick R. Norris. Here we go with the NBC synopsis. Smash is determined to get a football scholarship despite recent events. And Jason receives the biggest news of his life since the accident. We have an unbelievable guest with us today, a great friend of ours, the recently Oscar-nominated Jesse Plemons. But before we chat with Jesse, let's get into the highlights of this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Billy Riggins is in church, and I feel like something's about to catch on fire. What is that supposed to mean? Billy can't go to church? Billy's not allowed in church? That feels weird. (laughs) You gave some money, though. I was proud of you. I did, yeah. I think I was forced to donate, put some money in the bowl by Tim Riggins, who's trying to impress Lila. It was weird. That's all I'm going to say. It was a fun scene. But onto a bigger scene, Street knocked up the waitress, a.k.a. Aaron, who we met a couple episodes back. That's kind of big news on a lot of different levels. Did we know that it was next to impossible? Is that something? No, we, but like the show had talked about. I believe that in the first season, the doctors kind of established that, look, you're not going to walk again. You'll be lucky if you're ever even capable of getting an erection, much less having children. So I think that this was just outside the realm of possibility. Because remember in the first season, how much struggles he had with he and Lila because he couldn't Mm -hmm. control his bladder. And then he had a difficult time feeling anything in that area. I was unaware of the whole, this is going to sound so weird, but like the sperm stuff that Jason was looking up later. Yeah. I feel also like it's something that I should have known, but the stakes are so high now because of it. Yeah. God, this kid's been through so much. Yes. Oh my God. In the meantime, you guys, Pete Freakingberg is on <laughs> our show. The creator, our father, our boss, our one coming back. <laughs> 
playing Connie's ex, Mo. Is that right? Yes, Mo. What is Mo short for? Morris, I believe they say later in the episode. Okay. Maurice, Mor- I can't remember. But yeah, his name is Mo, and I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. Dude mm-hmm. is super shady. Is it the cowboy hat? It's the cowboy hat. It's mm-hmm. the wheeling and dealing. It's the dimple. It's all that stuff. He's also super close with Tammy in these scenes. I don't like Hello? He's a little smarmy. Yeah, smart. Also, like, I don't know about buying up that much real estate in Dylan. It seems to be some kind of ulterior motives. I don't know that it's like a booming real estate economy in Dylan, Texas. Maybe it is. Also, again, because I haven't watched this season, that was my friend Jeffrey Schmidt playing his assistant Reeves. I just get so excited when I'm like, hey, I like actual friends with people on our show. He's a very (laughs) talented actor. Yes, he is. I hate dodgeball. I don't even like movies about it. I saw the movie Dodgeball once. It was very funny. Can't watch it again. It is like actual traumatizing PTSD. I think it should be illegal and school shouldn't be allowed to play it. So I was going to ask you, were you the kid who got beaned in the head during dodgeball? Constantly. Like not in the head, in the face. In the face. Yes. And it hurts. Those things leave a little like red mark sting. Yeah, they do. They do. God, it's such a mean game. It is a mean game. My nose is starting to water thinking about getting a dodgeball to the face. Yeah, because it's not (laughs) like getting hit with like a baseball or something, but it's that it leaves a weird rubbery sting to it. And like I get Smash is like, nope, I've hated this game since I was what, like six or something. I get it, Smash. They say that smell is like your strongest sense. You'd smell something from like 40 years ago and it'll Mm -hmm. take you right back to that moment. I would say dodgeball to the face is maybe the strongest sense. Now that you say that, I can smell that rubber. It smells I can like smell rubber, the rubber and I can feel sweat. it hitting me in the face. And I'm not kidding. You can look at me, Stacy, on this Zoom call and see that my mm-hmm. eyes are watering. If I was the principal <laughs> of a school, it would be a no dodgeball zone. I think dodgeball's been outlawed in a lot of schools. Hey guys, what are we going to do in class today? We're going to hit each other in the face with balls. <laughs> That sounds great. <laughs> I want to find who invented dodgeball and I would shove a dodgeball in his face. There is this scene that comes next between Matt and Landry and there was just all kinds of inappropriate talk here about things that I don't think that we need to talk about on the podcast. So we're just going to skip over whoa, it. Whoa, 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 whoa. We can't just skip over I don't know what you thought was inappropriate. <sighs> I get the, like, the joshing and the poking on your best friend, but it was like... I know that they talked about Tyra's numbers, like the Tyra has been around the block. Yeah, sex shaming and then calling Carly out a Mexican. And it was just a lot of like, I'm going to be honest with you. From my standpoint, because I knew what your notes on this scene were Mm -hmm. already when I watched it. But when I watched it, I didn't feel like that's what Matt was doing. I get where you're coming from. But from my standpoint, Matt was saying, don't you think you should be careful? I mean, she's been around the block a few times. And I don't think it was like shaming her as much as it was like a warning. Yeah, don't get too caught up on this girl. She's got a reputation. wonder if maybe it was a little of both because he did start to like name off numbers. It just felt yeah. a little shamey to me, but this was 15 years ago, so. I hear you. I hear you. I'll let it be. I'm trying to be open-minded here, Stace. Again, Jason Street getting this news, completely life-altering news, having to make really incredibly, I would say, hefty life choices. This is completely life-altering. I understand the enthusiasm. I understand how excited he is. I don't love the way he treats Aaron at first. I feel like there's no concern placed on her. I get you. I like Aaron. I like that Aaron mm-hmm. stands up for herself. It's like she doesn't need us, the viewer, to stand up for her. She's like, I'm 19 years old. If I decide to have this baby, It will be my decision is what she says. Right. Not because it's your only shot. That's not why this is happening for me. And then like, I'm not some Petri dish for you to do some experiment on. I like that one. I should be a writer. Uh, But no, I did think that, yeah, good on her for standing up for herself. You know, so these two, they've definitely got a lot to talk about. And I think our writers did a good job of writing both sides of that storyline. Those sweet, sweet, innocent babes. 
again, freaking out because I haven't seen this episode. That was Doug Jackson who played Bob, who was introducing Pete in front of the helicopter. I have known Doug since I was probably five or six years old. He's one of my dad's very best friends. It makes me very happy. Well, I'll tell you what doesn't make me happy is Mo kissing on Tammy. He kisses her on the cheek about 25 times in this scene. He's very tactile. Yeah, you can see Coach's blood starting to boil. You know that this is not going to end well with these two. He's a little handsy. He's a little handsy. I think he has like five different cowboy hats too. But he seems incredibly rich. He gets to go up in a helicopter. If I was Tammy, I'd be like, I mean, I married Coach, but I mean, he's impressive. I catch you. Congratulations. He wants to hang out a lot, though. They go to this and a game and a dinner. And then it's like, I think if my husband's ex-girlfriend wanted to hang out that much, I'd be like, we're done. Yeah, it seems to me like Moe's having a bit of a midlife crisis here. But again, I love a dimple. I really do. Pete Burke's got a great one. That's all it takes. Some dimples in a helicopter and Stacey's just... Yeah, you throw in a cowboy hat and I am done. That's true. I remember there was an episode I wore a cowboy hat and you and Palicki were just like, oh my God. I'll tell the story. It was our wedding. Listen, this goes especially for men, but for everybody. You either have a face that can carry a cowboy hat or you don't. They look very good on some people and they don't on others. Taylor Kitsch put his on and it just doesn't work with his bone structure. It looked a little uncomfortable, like a kid wearing his dad's clothes. Derek walks into the makeup trailer, Annie and I just hanging out, getting our makeup done. And Derek left and Annie and I just very slowly turned to each other and we knew exactly what the other one was thinking. It was uncomfortably attractive because you're like a brother to both of us. We found it uncomfortably attractive how good you looked in a cowboy hat. You should know that. If you could see how red my face is, I'm extremely flattered by that. Thank you very much. And I guess I will start wearing a cowboy hat every time that we do our podcast. I don't know how my headphones are going to fit over the cowboy hat, but we'll figure that out in post. (laughs) (laughs) podcast cowboy hats. This is amazing. Speaking of headphones, swear, hand up, hand to God. I think I would listen to the Riggs show. And I'm not even like a sports person necessarily. No, it had me cracking up. And you got to think that a lot of that is probably Taylor improving. Yeah, because he said cheers like three times, which isn't something we say in Texas, but I love him. He says no regrets. No regrets. Kitch actually has no regrets tattooed on his, what do you call that? Underneath his armpit. Uh Uh-huh. His rib cage. Your ribs. Mm -hmm. You call those ribs? I do. I have a tattoo there as well. It hurt very bad. Is that what the kids are calling it these days? Ribs? Yeah, those ribs. ribs. I'm guessing the show didn't get picked up. Maybe they didn't love it. I think this is the last we see of the Tim Riggins sports talk show. That upsets me. I was a fan of the That's what we need. We need the Riggins sports radio show and Coach's Saracen show as well. Oh God, the TV show. Yeah. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Very short-lived. Hey man, it's a hot market in Dillon, Texas for television and radio. And apparently real estate. I'm finding out all kinds of things now. Yep. I dig Coach Deeks, this new coach that we meet. Well, here's an interesting fact. Coach Deeks was actually in the first episode of Friday Night Lights. If you remember correctly, there is an African-American coach that coach Taylor, and he says, it's only football. And he goes, yeah, it's only football. He was scouting for Coach Taylor. Stop it. That was him? Same guy. Yeah, he's a great actor. I love this guy. Look at that little callback they did, because he says that he's been watching Smash since he was in what, like seventh grade or something? Elementary school. And so we know that Coach has had a history. He and Deeks have been buddies for years and years and years. I love that. So I thought that was a great little callback. And yeah, I mean, it does seem like the kind of situation after everything that Smash has been through. It's a smaller school, but it seems like this is maybe a good place to end up. You got a coach that loves you, that knows you backwards and forwards. He's going to work the offense around you. And it's also a guy who cares about you. It's a family type situation. And 
I think that's what Smash needs. I think if Smash goes to one of these big schools, it's bright lights, big city, get chewed up and spit out and get caught up in the wrong stuff. Not about playing football. It'll be more about chasing ladies. And Brian's got an ego. Yes. And at a place like that where it's going to get a little shattered, it's going to cause bad things. And this guy, this new coach, Deke, seems like he's also going to be a paternal figure yeah. for Smash, which he needs. I like the whole thing. The whole thing fit and I like it. And I would like to maybe see that spinoff show if that could happen too. Mm-hmm. What is it about Peter Berg and Kyle Chandler fighting that I love? I didn't know it was going to come to blows. <laughs> I got very happy when they fell on the table. Well, I remember when we had David Hudgens on the show, he specifically talked about how there were only like two things that Peter Berg wanted in episode 15 of season two when he said that he was going to be on the show. He wanted to be in a helicopter and he wanted to fight Kyle. I think those were the only two things that David Hudgens <laughs> said he wanted. I don't know. But the fight thing makes sense because Peter Berg actually owns a boxing gym in Los Angeles. Yeah, he started kids doing it. He's a huge fight fan and he loves boxing. And I have it on good record that he likes to take people into the ring and be like, if I want to work with you, I kind of want to see what you like in the ring. He can throw a punch, right? He's got yeah. he's got a good hook. I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> I, I did mess with him at a rap party one time. Did you wrestle? Yeah, well, I wrestled in high school, so I'm pretty confident as a wrestler. If it was a straight-up fisticuffs, Pete would yeah. kick the snot out of me. Meanwhile, I loved that they fought, too. I also loved the scene when Tammy comes into Coach's bedroom in the morning. He's hungover, and he's beaten up, and <laughs> Julie says, what happened? Coach goes, I was defending your mom's honor. And Julie says, with your face? And then as they <laughs> walk away, she's like, say goodbye to your dad. No, say it louder. Louder. I just thought that was a brilliant moment. It's very funny. Do you know what... Kyle does really well. And he's done it maybe three or four times in this show. And I've had to do this before. And I always get very self-conscious about it. He's very good at a waking up scene. Mm. He's very good with the messy and you don't have the words and it's like, and you're not quite present. And he was hungover, but it's like, he's very good at that. It's not an easy thing. No. You can overdo it really easily. Whenever I have a wake up scene, it always feels like my face is super red. There's a lot of rubbing. Because I'm always going, like, <clears throat> yeah, we think a lot of people can overdo it. I gotta say, this was a very weird end to a very weird season, but yes, we did it, guys. We are at the end of season two. I mean, obviously, this is not how the writers planned on it ending, mm. they obviously had a lot more story that they wanted to tell. And as I said earlier in this episode, I actually watched a little bit of season three, just a little teeny bit of it, just to get a little amuse-bouche, if you will, Jesus. to try and see where we're going. Because I was like, wait a minute, I think Smash winds up getting, I can't remember. I don't want to spoil anything yet. But yeah, we are done with season two. Here's the deal. You know what's not a weird way to end season two is by talking to an Oscar nominee? Who's that? Oh, guys, we got Jesse Plemons coming up next, and he's one of my favorite human beings, and you're going to want to hear everything he says. So excited to have Jesse on, so stick around. delighted to have Oscar nominee Jesse Plemons, a.k.a. Landry Clark, with us on the show today. Jesse has had a ridiculously amazing career starring in such TV shows as Olive Kittredge, Breaking Bad, for which he received the SAG Award for Outstanding Performance by an Ensemble, Fargo, which garnered him an Emmy nomination and a Critics' Choice Award, and Black Mirror, for which he earned his second Emmy nomination. Jesse has starred in such films as Varsity Blues, All the Pretty Horses, Observe and Report, Battleship, The Master, The Homesman, Black Mass, The Program, Bridge of Spies, Other People, Hostels, The Post, Game Night, Vice, The Irishman, Judas and the Black Messiah, Jungle Cruise, Windfall, Antlers, and of course, 
The Power of the Dog, for which he was nominated for an Oscar. Over his illustrious career, he has worked with Martin Scorsese, Leonardo DiCaprio, Benedict Cumberbatch, Al Pacino, Francis McDormand, Robert De Niro, Joaquin Phoenix, Steven Spielberg, Matt Damon, Penelope Cruz, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, Johnny Depp, Amy Adams, Paul Thomas Anderson, Tommy Lee Jones, Christian Bale, Tony Collette, Timothy Chalamet, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and of course, Kirsten Dunst. Jesse. Jesus. It's a lot. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show with us, man. We of really course. appreciate it. You're from a tiny little town called Mart, which is just outside of Waco, Texas, which I went to school at Baylor University, so I'm very familiar with Mart. But neither of your folks are in the business. How does a kid from Mart, Texas get into acting? Do you remember what your first job was? It's probably my first memory. And it was really just happenstance. We were living up around Dallas at the time. We had just gone somewhere, Carnival. I, I don't, I don't know where we were. But my mom heard that there was an open call for a Coca-Cola commercial on the radio, and I was asleep. And for whatever reason, she decided to stop by. I think it was going to be on our way home. She stopped by. They were actually calling for 16-year-old boys that could swing a rope. For some reason, my mom thought. He's two and a half, but he always has a rope. He got better and so she took me and the casting director said, yeah, well, let's see if we can wake him up. I really think that's probably my first memory is holding this bottle of Coke and people telling me you have to wait to drink it until we're rolling. I was like, yep, yeah, uh-huh, got it. <laughs> and then for a long time, it was just kind of a fun family activity, us going and being extras and whatever we're shooting around Texas. And then over time, I realized I was drawn to it more than my sister or anyone else. I grew up watching Westerns and Lonesome Dove, and I got to be an extra in a few Westerns. Tommy Lee Jones, actually, the good old boys, he directed that and Matt Damon was in it. So just like I was stepping inside of these movies that I've been watching. So. That's awesome. So here's a question for you. We hear horror stories all the time about kids growing up in the entertainment business. The term child star has almost become synonymous with bad behavior. Now, my question to you is, do you think that child stars are more prone to getting in trouble or is it just that we hear more about it because they're under the celebrity microscope? I'm not trying to get you with some kind of gotcha question or anything. <laughs> I ask this because you always seem so mature and beyond your years when you were on Friday Night Lights. I wanted to know what it is that's kept you so grounded in this crazy business. I think I just got very lucky with the parents that I have. A lot of it boils down to family dynamics and just like any other group of people, I mean, people are going to respond to success in various ways. It's just maybe more treacherous when you're younger. I was always grateful that, you know, some of these parts I was heartbroken that I didn't get in hindsight. I'm glad it took me until I was 18 to really get a part where, you know, I was slightly more well-known and I just felt more ready for it. But kids that are young and all of a sudden are presented with, you know, this crazy stardom, they recognize that that's got to be very surreal and hard to wrap your head around. You know? so yeah, I, I don't know. But for me, it was just I was always back and forth, too. I started going out to L.A. when I was pretty young, maybe 11 or 12. And we'd go out for three months and experience that circus. Uh, yeah. Pilot season and all that. And I would go home to Mark doing whatever chores my dad told me to do and it was a really great balance, just bouncing back and forth between those two extremes. It's something that I feel like even at this age, at 40, 46 years old, I just turned 46 yesterday. Yeah. 46 years old. Yeah, I'm an old fart. But even at this age, I feel like you need to have that balance, whether you find it with your friend yeah. group or find it, yeah. you can't buy into the hype of any kind no. in this business or, or in life. I mean, it's, it's about staying grounded. Yeah, and most anything you do, not just acting. It's like if you get too deep into anything, 
Yeah. And there's not some sort of balance. There's bound to be some problems that arise. For sure. I mean, it was always fascinating to me because we had a lot of kids on the show and I was older than most of you guys. I was probably 30 when the show started. And so it was always fascinating to me. You know, we'd have an 18 year old kid on the show and he'd be like running back and forth. And then Jesse would be over in his acting chair, just sitting there. Like with just scene. with a book, really calm. Yeah, like an old man. Just Is that what know. I did? <laughs> no, you're just, I think you're an old soul. I mean, you were always there and ready to work and focused. And I remember thinking, man, at 18, I was not that kid. At I all. was bonkers. The way I look back at it was it just felt like we were all given the keys to this thing and mm-hmm. given the responsibility of all the characters. And so it was yeah. a mix between feeling this sort of freedom, which is so exciting. But then the flip side of that is also the weight of knowing that it is really on you. It's like pretty much what Pete told us, have at it. It's interesting because, I mean, you've been in this business at that point in time for what, 15 years? Semi-seriously for probably 12. But enough to experience some heartache and to realize, you know, that this was an important deal and that these kind of projects don't come around every single day. So yeah, I I mean, I think that that probably definitely helped. What do I know? I'm telling you what you think. How did Friday Night Lights come about for you? What was that audition experience like? I don't know your audition story for this. Well, I had done Grey's Anatomy. Right, that's right. right. So I had tumors all over my face. Yeah. Love that experience and loved Linda, mm-hmm. the casting director. And I was just getting ready to officially move to LA, which I was probably kind of anxious about. Didn't really feel ready for that. And I was in LA, got the audition to read for Matt Saracen. Wow. We read it and especially those early episodes, there's not much in those scenes really. Yeah. Now it's so absurd to even think mm-hmm. about. We switched parts or something. But yeah, like it went fine. She said, since you're here, why don't you just read Landry? And it's one of those maybe happened a couple times in my life. But for whatever reason, it's, it's not even like that similar to Landry. But for whatever reason, like I, I read it a few times. And, you know, maybe it was a couple of kids in my high school that it reminded me of. But it just immediately clicked. Yeah. I, felt I knew exactly who this person was. And then I think I read with Pete, which is always an experience. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we improvised a bunch. And then tested. I believe Gaius and Taylor were there at the same time that I tested. And then, yeah. I remember distinctly finding out that I got it. I just started running. I was just printing. That's awesome, man. That was actually going to lead me to my next question. There are definitely aspects of Jesse Plemons, the Jesse Plemons that I know, at least, in Landry that are similar. I mean, you guys both have great senses of humor. You both love music. You both have a strong moral compass. But the Jesse I know is wise beyond his years and was extremely confident, both as an actor and as a person. At least he came across that way to me. You might have been fooling me. What would you say are the biggest differences between you and Landry? And what would you say are the biggest similarities? Huh. I mean, you're always sort of trying to find common ground. You're right. There definitely are aspects of Landry that I understood. But it's sort of, I don't know, there's this idealistic sort of quality of him that I definitely have, but I'm kind of fighting with the sort of flip side to that. And he's so unguarded in his advice and (laughs) feelings and thoughts. So it was maybe an opportunity for me to just sort of really find kind of all of that within myself. It felt kind of like anything goes. Yeah. He becomes such a more fleshed out 
character in season two and rounded. There was, I think, two episodes ago when we were doing our rewatch and I just kept writing down, Landry Clark is just a good human being. Like maybe is he even (laughs) too good of a human being? Did you have any kind of say in where the character was going from season one to season two and his story becoming what it was? No, I was told by Pete what what was going (laughs) on. What did he say? It was actually rooted in the story that was pretty heavy, I believe. Someone that he had met whenever he, you know, was flying in. And where would he go hang out? Some school outside of Austin. I know that's where a lot of the character inspiration came from. Yeah, for the pilot, he was over by Midland, Odessa, like around that area. Yeah, but then there was some other school. Anyways, I did not have any say in it. But at the same time, I was thinking this is... Definitely a leap for this show uh, mm-hmm. try and ground a storyline as sort of extreme as that. I wasn't judging it in the moment. And thankfully, Annie was so much fun to work with and yeah. so great. And because of the structure of the show, we were able to take the scenes and then make them our own and try and find as much as we could in the moment. But yeah, I was definitely glad. <laughs> When it was over. It feels like a marathon in some respects. I, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't speak about the fact that it's a big controversial storyline, you know, yeah. among Friday Night Lights fans and among some of us in the cast and crew. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that Stacy and I talked about from the very beginning when we started season two and when this murder storyline happens is the fact that one of the things that you can't look past is how damn good you and Annie and Glenn Morshower are yeah. together. I mean, some of the most beautifully acted scenes on this show happen in this storyline that maybe some of us don't love so much, but it's not because of the performances. And I was wondering, what effect do you think that might have had on your career? Because it really was the first time as an audience, we got to see a fully fleshed out side of Landry. I mean, this was the first time on the show that I can pick out where it's your story. It isn't just comic relief. You're not there to serve as a foil for Matt and Julie's relationship. It's really Landry. And we're seeing how Landry reacts under these circumstances. And we got to see as an actor, not 100% what you're capable of, but we got to see this mom can act. You know what I mean? Not that we didn't know that before. Thanks, man. I was really excited to take someone like Landry and put him through this gauntlet yeah. and see what would happen. There were definitely times where Annie and I were both nervous <laughs> <laughs> and thinking, yeah, no, this is going to work. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that bothered me, I remember telling the writers this and Jeff was just, I think they were trying to get out of that storyline so quickly. I remember I had some scene with Lila and I pitched just like us sharing a look, no dialogue or anything sharing a look or something in the hall some moment of recognition of what (laughs) you know we've just been through yeah that was the only thing that really bothered me it was just like no that didn't happen then it did take me a little while to figure out how to then like reintegrate back into the show that's i never thought about how like going into the episodes after it and then into season three like you just as the actor and performer that you are still going to carry your backstory into whatever they give you next i never actually honestly thought about the weight of that Yeah, I don't even remember what that was like. I just remember feeling strongly about something. It could be really small, but something showing that he's still living with it. That's tough. I remember watching the show and going, man, what he's having to do right now as an actor is very, very difficult because you're having to take these extremely dramatic scenes and then we're going back to just middling high school. He said, she said, drama. It seemed trivial. Yeah, very trivial compared to what you just went through. 
flows right into East Dillon. Is that season three or season four? No, season four is East Dillon. But yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I didn't watch the show. <laughs> Stacy's only seen up to the end of season Very two. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't like watching stuff that I'm in. I'm too close to it. I don't either. Friday Night Lights is maybe the last one that I was able to watch. Yeah. Kind of separate myself from. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way these days. I mean, Friday Night Lights was the one thing that I could watch and I did watch and I watched a lot. (laughs) I was so proud of it and so excited. It was my first big thing. But yeah, man, Kitch and I would talk about that after the storyline in season two and be like, man, it's a tough task because it's hard for us to just jump back into what's going on with Landry's life. Landry trying to pursue girls. Mm -hmm. But if you'll remember, there were other odd scenes that they were trying to squeeze in to amp up the ratings. Yes. Yes, like there's shark surgeries. And I think NBC was sort of flailing, trying to figure out how to make this show. Yeah, I agree. For those of you who didn't watch Friday Night Lights in real time, like I remember even the season two promos were like, Friday Night Lights. You know what I mean? It was like all sexed up. So and it was sexy. like, wow, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there what is shower this? scenes all of a sudden. I'll never forget there was one time during football practice where Jeff or whoever was directing just said, all right, now everyone go stand over by the Gatorade coolers. Why? <laughs> I realized that it was product placement. And then everyone just started acting ridiculous and went to the arms. <laughs> <laughs> What are your favorite memories, either on or offset from Friday Night Lights? Like, what are the things that you remember most or just times that you enjoyed? Those football games were always fun because everyone was there, you know, all-nighters. And yeah, it was always semi-tedious and then a lot of fun at the same time, you know? Yeah. There's honestly just so many. Your birthday in Vegas was fun. (laughs) That's not uh, the same thing. No, Jesse turned 21 on the show and we all went to Vegas. Not all of us, but like a lot of us were in Vegas for his birthday. I lost my wallet. Steve Walters lost his wallet. That's Vegas. That's what happened. Yeah. But we thought we got robbed by two women that were at a bar. (laughs) And I'm like, all right, joke's over, ladies. Where's my wallet? And they're like, what are you talking about? I also remember, I think the first time I really got to work with you was your party that was like before a game or something. Yeah. Landry getting kind of drunk. That was fun. I mean, I just think back at a certain point, once all of us had really settled into this way of filming and the freedom that we were all given, it just became about messing with each other. The characters were so lived in at that point in time. Like I remember having this scene with Taylor in the later seasons where he's going to take the rap for my character and go to prison. And as an actor, usually I'd be on set prepping somewhere in a corner by myself. And it was like, I don't have to do that. It was just natural and it was real and it felt so lived in that like Taylor saying he's going to take the rap for me. It almost felt like it wasn't acting. I know. I remember a scene with Zach towards the end of the show where I'm helping him pick out shoes. It was so natural. We were such good friends at that point that I remember thinking, will anyone want to watch this? (laughs) Because it's so natural. Yeah, it just felt like you're just watching two buddies hanging out. It's kind of monotonous. And, you know. But guess what? That's exactly what people want to see. I also remember like nights where you, me, Matt Loria and Dana Wheeler Nickerson and you guys would have your guitars out 
and we would have what Dana would call a hoot nanny, and we would just sing songs yeah. all night long by a fire pit. Like that's the kind of stuff that makes my heart happy. Yeah, all those nights in LA where you would show up at my place, guitar in hand, and yeah, oh, man, yeah, for fun. I also remember one night you had texted me on like a Saturday. We were in Austin, and you were like, "Hey, man, you want to get together and maybe grab a drink?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's do that." So I met you out at some bar, and like five minutes into us being there, you're like, "Hey, I got a text about a party. You want to go to this party?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'll go to some party with." You. And it wound up being like a UT party. And I forget sometimes, as I said, because you're such an old soul. Oh, right. Okay. I'm like 35 years old. And you at the time were like 21 years old. You know what I mean? So we walk into this party and I go, Jesse, I can't be here, man. And you go, why? And I go, because everyone here is like 21 years old and like 20 years old. And you're like, I'm 21. And I'm like, yeah, but you're a different Don't. 21. I got to get out of here. And I remember texting Joey Oglesby, who played Guy Raston on the show. And I go, dude, I'm at some UT party and I feel like a total creep. And he's like, you are a creep. Get out get of there. Get out of there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Who would have invited me to that? I don't know. Everybody. I don't know. But I mean, you know, you're in Austin. UT's right there. I'm jumping around on our questions here, but this is just something I've always wondered. This isn't me blowing smoke up your butt or anything, but your career trajectory after FNL has been my favorite of any of the people that were a part of it. I just find the projects that you choose and the characters that you play to be so interesting. And I'm wondering, what is it that makes you say yes to a job or to a character? What are you looking for? Yeah, seriously, whatever the hell your method is, it's working because six of your last 10 films have been nominated for Best Picture. Not that that's the end all be all, but it's, you know, I mean, that's something. I kind of don't take the credit for that because it never feels like I have some real master plan. I know I'm sort of my best and I'm, I'm the least stressed if I just try and rely on my instincts. It's always kind of the same criteria, I guess, which is script, the part, and the people involved. And I still don't care how big a part is. It's the thing as a whole. And talking about the six out of 10 films or whatever. I mean, what would you do, Derek? You'd say, yeah. You know, of course. <laughs> Martin Scorsese calls me. I'm going to be like, well, I don't know, Marty. Yes. I don't know. So, I'm busy doing this guest star on Law & Order SVU next week. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it doesn't feel like hatching some plan. I always just kind of read something. And if it's a part that I'm really drawn to. There's equal parts, excitement and mm -hmm. nervousness of, can I do this? And then, yeah, some directors, you just would do anything for it. Yeah. So. yeah. so we had Brad Leland on the show recently, and Brad told us that the project you're working on right now, it was actually announced that you and Kirsten had both been nominated for Oscars and that Brad was on set when it happened. It was his coverage too. Oh God. They waited until it wasn't on me to make the announcement. And it was really, really sweet. And I was, I'll never forget Brad's face because I had found out earlier that morning, right before we were going to rehearse the scene, it was a big scene where I'm being interrogated under really, really bizarre circumstances. And Kirsten called me and told me, and I was like, well, that's crazy and amazing. And <laughs> so I was just trying to do everything I could to just like sort of delay my excitement or even focus on that until we finished the scene. Because I knew it was just like a half day. Uh, yeah. Before. A few people are like finding out and saying congrats. And I didn't tell anyone because it just felt strange to say yes oh by the way <laughs> and then yeah when the ad and director announced it in brad's face he sort of went through something similar where his jaw just like hit the floor what 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 oh, God. and then he kept saying i'm not gonna be able to do this, oh, God. <laughs> he, was able to do this. he was like 
I love him. Don't be happy. Don't be happy. (laughs) First of all, I love that you have a Brad Leland impression too, and it's really good. It makes me want to cry. It's very sweet. Oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do here. Little Jesse Plemons is now an Oscar (laughs) nominee. I don't know. (laughs) Just play (laughs) The Plem dog here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this scene with the Plem dog. (laughs) Stephanie Steele said she was working with you guys too at the same time. Oh, I didn't know that. Family, they're up. It makes me very, very happy. That is awesome, man. I didn't know Steele was on the project too. So Stephanie Steele was one of our wardrobe supervisors on Friday Night Lights. I put her through her paces. She would constantly be walking by. Is that a cell phone in your pocket? Yeah. (laughs) What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Season four, Derek. Come on, you know better. Take the cell phone out of your pocket. Sorry, Steele. Yeah. We aren't going to take up too much more of your time, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask. So my second favorite character you've ever done is your Black Mirror episode, but my very, very favorite Jesse Plemons character is Gary from Game Night. And I just have to know, like, where the hell did he come from? And what was it like being with Kyle Chandler again on set? Oh my gosh. Here's my question. Whose idea was it for you to slowly back out of the scene? It's in the script. I I was doing black mirror whenever i got that script and i had to work early the next morning and i only made it till the end of my first scene and then i called brandy my agent and was like yeah i'm in i really didn't even care what happened after that yeah but in that version of the script there was some reference to him having a kind of michael shannon quality oh that makes sense and again that sort of just locked something in in my mind and it was also just fun to to sort of be in my own movie and yes um, (laughs) it's like a side movie horror movie you know yeah sad horror movie i don't know it was one that the directors the johns were so great they always had amazing ideas and that cast was just so incredible it was so much fun i'm sure there were takes where the prolonged weighted silences were even longer <laughs> had to trim a little bit of it but oh man it's just fun to watch i love it it's true in scenery in like the best way possible <laughs> all right where do you think landry clark is now Whew. in a while <laughs> I would assume he got a great job, sort of maybe tech job or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then on the weekends, he still lets loose with some iteration of Bruce Victorious. Yeah. Oh, I love that. He hasn't let that go. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love it. They still jam out in the garage. I love it. Uh, no, he's playing gigs. He's playing gigs. What are you working on now, bud? I know you just got done doing, is it Flowers of the August Moon? Killers of the Flower Killers Moon. Killers of, I've screwed that name up all the time. <laughs> I'm going to get it right at some point. We've had three people on the show at this point that have been in the movie. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> with you included. Yeah. And then the miniseries with Brad, Love and Death, HBO Max miniseries. And then doing something now that I can't say. Yeah. Ooh. And then a few possibilities this fall, but I've kind of been going for over a year straight and tore my other ACL. Did I tell you that? No. What? <laughs> just got weak baby knees, I guess. But you also do a lot of like horseback riding and things and stuff aren't great for the knees. I think what it is, is I just do things that I shouldn't be doing. You You're preaching the choir, dude. I had surgery for a hernia earlier this year and shoulder, shoulder surgery. surgery. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm 46 years old. I'm in my garage, like <laughs> lifting weights. Like I know what I'm doing. And I'm like, what are you doing, dude? You're too old for this shit. Also, you're a daddy now, and that takes a toll, too. Yeah, I've been working a little over a year, pretty much straight. So I'm definitely going to take 
the summer off and maybe something in the fall. But yeah, I'm excited to just hang with the boys and family. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on everything. And thank you so much, dude, for taking the time to come on this show. I know how busy you are right now. Yeah, Yeah, man. I just love seeing your face. I miss it. Same, same, same. Good seeing you, partner. Good seeing you. Thanks, guys. You guys, that's it. We made it. That is the end of season two. But please join us next week when we kick off season three. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our websites, ClearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, Cadence13.com, and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.